that is uh, that is what we want to have happen, isn't it? We want to touch the Lord. Uh, one day we'll physically be able to touch him. You know, Thomas wouldn't believe he had resurrected unless he could touch him. He said, unless I can put my, see the scars in his, in his hands and thrust my hand into his side, I won't believe it. And, uh, and God said, well, here I am, Thomas. Have at it. <laughs> yeah, just to paraphrase it. It's good to be uh, good to be in the Lord's house again this morning, and as it always is. And assuming hearts are free, we want to turn our thoughts and our attention heavenward and and expound into the 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 word of the Lord here for just a little while. And our prayer is that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, that you'll touch Him, uh, and that actually that He'll touch you. That's what needs to happen for you to be saved is you need the Lord to reach down from heaven and lay his hand on you and heal you of the sickness that you have. And that is of sin and the bondage that is uh, that you're that you're captured in there at that moment. Uh, I'd like to take for a lesson text today. Luke chapter two, Luke chapter two. And we're going to start in the 25th verse. Now, we, we usually only get into Luke chapter 2 at Christmas time, but we're not going to, you know, expound too much on the birth of Christ. But there's something else that I'd like for us to look at, and that is a man who, uh, who was serving God in the, tab- in the temple in the day that Jesus was born. And this was after he's been born, and God had commanded that all the descendants of Moses, all the male descendants of Moses, they were to be circumcised the eighth day after the mother had finished the time of her purification. And so we see here on in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, that, uh, that Mary, that Joseph and Mary, they're bringing Jesus to the temple to present him before God uh, and that that circumcision can be taken, can take place. But the man who's... Uh, who's serving in the temple at the time, uh, is a very godly man, and he's devout, and his name is Simon. And so we're going to pick up right there. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. Now we can also look at that and say Simeon, but we're going to say Simon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him, uh, then, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And that's where I would like to stop, right there. And... uh, 
Joseph and Mary, they they heard these uh, these things which which Simon had said uh, of Jesus, and they were a little bit awestruck, weren't they, at the uh, at the at the proclamation that was made there in the temple as it pertained to Jesus, even though they knew that Jesus was not conceived of the seed of Joseph and that. He was of the seed of the woman, which God preached back in the garden of uh, when after Adam and Eve had uh, eaten the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the interesting thing about that is it was the it was the willful act of Adam which really caused sin to fall upon the whole human race. And, and so here we see this Simeon or Simon here in the temple, and he uh, and he is a uh, Waiting, and he is waiting with great anticipation, isn't he? And great longing. And the desire of his heart is that he would see the consolation of Israel, uh, and, uh, the comfort of the Israel. Uh, and, uh, and he's, he's waiting for the, uh, the vindication of Israel in a certain sense. And, and, and here he is, and he's waiting for it, and waiting for it, and he's a, a holy man. Uh, and, uh, and the Bible says that the Holy Ghost was upon him. Uh, and, uh, and so it's, and it's leading him. And so he, it, it led him into the temple in the day that he went in the temple and Jesus came in. And so one of the things I like to look at first is, is here you have a guy who the only thing he wants to see is he wants to see the salvation of the Lord, isn't he? Or, or doesn't he? And that's the message, that's the title uh, that I would like to use this morning is Beholding Salvation. Because that's what Simon was desiring. He wanted to see the salvation of the Lord, didn't he? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel. Because one of the names of, of Jesus that Isaiah ascribed to him was comforter, wasn't it? And you know what the Holy Spirit, when Jesus said, if I don't go away, then the comforter will not come to you. And so the Holy Spirit comforts us, doesn't it? Or, or doesn't he here in this world? Uh, and so here he is waiting for this manifestation of the Comforter to come before uh, his people Israel, uh, that they might be reconciled to God, that uh, that the, the sins of Jacob will be answered for. Uh, and so here we look and uh, and we get into this. But one thing I would like for us to notice is, uh, or like to ask the, to point the directions out to, though he's waiting for this, he acknowledges, doesn't he, who controls it. Uh, and that's one of the things that we have issue with, especially in the day and the age that we live in, is we want control, don't we? Uh, and that's one thing I'd like to direct your attention to. We look in this verses of Scripture, uh, and you can see him waiting. You can see him waiting. And, uh, and uh, the verse of scripture I want to look at is, is he, he takes him up in the 28th verse and he blesses God and he says, Lord, let us now thy servant depart in peace according to my word or thy word for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Right. When you get saved, it's not a person that's saving you. God is the one who does the saving, doesn't he? 
God's the one who has uh, the work of grace ascribed to him. And so here we see he says, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation in verse 30. And in verse 31 he said, Which thou hast prepared. Uh, not of works, isn't it? Simon was boasting, but he wasn't boasting about anything that he had done, even though he had probably spent a lifetime in the temple serving God. He's boasting about what God had did in just the manifestation of Jesus as a baby there, wouldn't he? Uh, and here he looks at it, and he says, Which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. It's not just our country that he's sent to. He's a light to lighten the Gentiles. Uh, and so we think about that and we think about that control aspect of it. And I think one of the, one of the best verses or the best subsets of scripture that we have that outline that who it is that's really in control. Because as we live in this world, uh, this world likes to, to claim that it has the control that the people that run the world, they want to believe that they're in control. Uh, and in the world that we live in now, there are people that are in positions of power uh, that believe that they control the levers of con that they control the levers to this world to such a great degree that they can make it and manipulate it and fashion it into whatever they want it to be. But the truth of the matter is that none of us are in control. And that's a very hard thing to accept, isn't it? None of us are in control. Job knew that he wasn't in control. And we go over to uh, the, the 12th chapter of Job, and I don't think anybody does a better job of highlighting who's in control than Job does. In starting here in the, uh, in the sixth verse, and he says, The tabernacles of robbers prosper. The houses of worship that robbers frequent are very wealthy, aren't they? And they still are to this day. Very wealthy. But he says this, he says, And they that provoke God are secure because they have enough money to satisfy any want and need that they may have in this world. Into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. God rules over all of mankind, doesn't he? Not one sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing it. And you, as he told to the disciples, are worth many more than one sparrow, much more than one sparrow. And so here he says, but ask, but ask now the beast and they shall teach thee. And the fowls of the air, and they shall teach thee. And Jesus used them, didn't he? Uh, he used the beast and the fowls of the air uh, to extol about that. Uh, when he said that the foxes have dens and the and the birds of the air have nests, but I have no, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Uh, and he spoke about that need that he had. They have security in that. Uh, they have a home. Uh, and uh, and he says, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, because uh, creation declares the handiwork of God. And the fowls, or, or sorry, and the fishes of the sea, and they shall declare unto thee. 
And then in the ninth verse, he asks a question. Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? Everything that's in this world was made by him and created by him. And without him, there is nothing made that was not made. Jesus created it all, didn't he? All of it was created by the word of God. And Jesus is that word made flesh, isn't he? And so here he continues on, and we're going to drop down a little bit to the 13th verse here in the 12th chapter of Job. And he says, with him, meaning God, is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. Behold, he breaketh down, and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. That's one of the things that, that's one of the ways that Jesus introduced himself to one of the seven churches of Asia, wouldn't he? He said, I am he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. And if you're here today and you're lost, there's a door that's available to you, available to be opened unto you. And that door is Jesus. Uh, but once that door closes, and that door is an opportunity to be saved, once it closes, nobody can open it. The five foolish virgins came to that door after it had been closed, and no one would open to them, would they? Once God had closed the door of the ark, don't you know there were many in the antediluvian age that uh, were in proximity to it that no doubt beat and banged on that door to that ark seeking to gain entry into it, but it was too late, wouldn't it? Uh, Moses had had the whole time when, he, when the ark was preparing, preaching righteousness, preaching repentance, and nobody would listen. But when the time comes and calamity happens, then all of a sudden people remember there's God, don't they? I've had people ask, what will it take to wake people up and to bring people back to God in the day and the age that we live in? The same thing it's always took, isn't it? Calamity. When, when 9-11 happened, the churches filled up, but it was only a short period of time and they got secure again and they went back away. And it's been a long time now. And you look at the previous generations and I'm going to say the generation that's generally regarded as the greatest generation, the generation that won World War II. Well, you look at their life before World War II, and there was such economic despair in this country, but God blessed them nonetheless. And we look at them and we say, well, how did they win that war? And it's because they had a tremendous reliance upon God, didn't they? They knew they didn't know it all. They knew that they didn't control it all. If you're going to win a war, you're going to win it because God goes before you. And anybody who fights a war without God is fighting a war in vain. And really, truthfully, Jesus doesn't really want war among the human race. In him there is no Jew and Gentile. But, has, but he has of twain made one new man. But Job said, Behold, he breaketh down, and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. Behold, he withholdeth waters. 
Elijah went up and prayed that there would be no rain for several years, didn't he? But it was God who withheld the waters. <laughs> he says, he withholdeth the waters and they dry up. I follow a guy out in, uh, I, I like to follow his YouTube channel right now. And uh, he does, he'll do, he'll do, like every once or one or two weeks, he'll go out to Lake Mead and he'll do an update on the lake level at Lake Mead. And it's amazing how fast the water level's dropping at Lake Mead. Why is that? Because he is withholding the rain out there, hadn't he? I mean, that lake is getting to a level that they're about to stop. They're about to not be able to produce power with it anymore. And that's going to have major consequences for the West, uh, for that area. And, and so he withholdeth the waters and they dry up. And, and also he sendeth them out and they overturn the earth. With him is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. See, Satan, Satan has nothing to offer you, does he? Those that are deceived by Satan, they are still answerable to God. Satan, who is the deceiver, is still answerable to God, isn't he? Because he was created by God. But he believed he was in control, didn't he? That was the illusion. Satan likes to give the illusion that you can take control for yourself. That's what he offered Eve there when he tempted her in the garden, wasn't it? He said, you can take control of this yourself because if you'd eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then you will be as God, knowing both good and evil. He said, just you seize the control, Eve. And then Adam saw Eve pick the fruit and eat it, and he made the decision, conscientious decision. To choose Eve over God. I'm just going to touch on the first few verses in the next several verses. Uh, the first few words in the next several verses just to show he does a magnificent job showing that it's God that's in control. And you may think here today that you're going to do everything that's uh, that you want to do and you're going to plan your life out to the nth degree and it's going to fall just the way you expect it to fall. You ask most people what they do for an occupation and most people went to school for one thing, but what they actually do for an occupation oftentimes is 180 degrees opposite from what they studied and you ask them, well, how did you get into doing that? And a lot of times it's just it, it just sort of happened. <laughs> They were like, well, I never intended on doing this. It just sort of fell in my lap. And so um, God controls that, doesn't he? But look at the next several verses. He leadeth counselors away spoiled. He looseth the bonds of kings. He leadeth princes away spoiled. He removeth the, away the speech of the trusty. He poureth out contempt upon princes. He discovereth the things of the deep out of darkness. 
or out of the darkness. He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. No nation rises or falls without God's permission. This idea and notion that you can raise up a nation of your own strength and that it will stand forever is folly to the nth degree. Why did the United States rise up and become a great nation? Because the people believed God. And they trusted in Him. And they served Him. Even if they didn't serve Him knowingly. Because a lot of the founding fathers weren't even Christians. Even though we ascribe to them as being Christians. God, they did say some truths though, didn't they? That God governs in the affairs of men and God does. Uh, no, no, no nation rises or falls without God being in control. He enlargeth the nations and he straightened them and he straighteneth them again. He taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth. And listen to this. In verse 25, this is what he says. He says, And they grope in the dark without light, and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. And that's the state that the world was in when Jesus was born into the world. It lied in darkness, didn't it? It lied in sin. Those that were responsible for teaching the way to God were corrupt, and they were not uh, of themselves uh, anything other than and uh, posers, for lack of a better word. And so who is in control? Proverbs chapter 21. Job says God's in control. Proverbs 21 says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of the water. Uh, God does control it all, doesn't he? Jabez, Jabez called out to God in the first uh, Chronicles chapter 4, and he said, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. Set us free from the sin that has besieged us. Uh, in his day, it was the Canaanites and the, uh, and the things that they were doing there in the land. Uh, and so here he, uh, he asks this question and he says, uh, that, that, that thine hand might be with me and that thou wouldest keep me from evil and that it may not grieve me. And the Lord granted, granted him that which he requested. You know what Jabez was requesting? He was saying, Lord, I need you to save us. I need you to save me. If I'm going to do the things that you've set forth for me to do, I need you to go before me. Remember, when Israel prospered, when they came out of Egypt, God went before them and he came up behind him, didn't he? They were just the middle flank of the army. God fought the battle. And so who brings salvation? Who brings it? Well, Simeon said they're in the temple, or Simon said they're in the temple. I have I have seen the salvation of the Lord. Of thy, I have seen thy salvation. It was Christ. Christ is salvation, isn't he? Uh, he said, if any man believeth in me, he shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There was, a, there was a day in the temple there uh, when the early church was gathered together, Acts chapter 15, and there was a, uh, there was a dispute that had arisen among the church uh, there in Jerusalem at that day. And 
They were disputing because there was a member of the church there who had been saved, but in his previous life he was a Pharisee. And so he had still retained a lot of those beliefs that the Pharisees espoused. Now it's my, it's my belief that that's why, why the apostle Paul had to spend three years in the Arabian desert being trained by Jesus because he needed to have him purged of all of those things that he was trained growing up. Uh, and it's not easy to train somebody to to do something new, is it? And so here uh, he had to uh, he had to uh, have all of that removed. And so here in uh, Jerusalem in that day, there's a member of the Pharisees who's been saved, who's a member of the church there, and he stands up and he says, "Look, I believe that we should be converting these new members, but when they get converted, I still believe that they should be undergoing circumcision because he recognized that when they got saved, that they became children of Abraham, didn't he?" And being children of Abraham, they should keep the token of the covenant of Abraham and they should be circumcised. And so this opened up a big dispute. And in the, in the, in the 11th verse of that 15th chapter, it says, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we shall be saved even as they have been saved, referring to the Gentiles. Uh, and this was Peter that stood up. And he went on a long diatribe and it basically ended with, uh, why would we want to place upon them the yoke of the law when they were never under it to begin with? And he hearkens back to Abraham. He says, for it was out of the uncircumcised that God called Abraham. Remember, Abraham was in uncircumcision when God called him to go and seek a country whose builder and maker was God. And so here uh, he says in the 11th verse, We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. And in the 11th chapter uh, he says this, And if it's by grace, then it's no more of works. All right? That part right there, we can go to Ephesians, right? Uh, that is, uh, we're saved by grace and not of works, lest any man should boast, because he would have something to say. You want to get saved, uh, everybody has a commonality uh, in their salvation experience, don't they? Uh, they have a very common thread. Uh, a lot of times, they've tried to negotiate it away, uh, or negotiate to get salvation if God granted salvation because you offered God something, then that would say that God is in need of something, isn't it? God has no need. God supplies every need, doesn't he? You're the one who has the need. But whenever anybody shares their conversion experience, it usually culminates. They get saved when they see control over to God, don't they? Because God's the one who's in control. And those of us that's been saved, we should never delude ourselves to believe that we're in control. Now, there are things and aspects in our lives that we control, but we should recognize, just like Job did, who's in ultimate control of everything. And that's God. 
And so in Romans 11, 6, and he says, if by, and if by grace, that is salvation, then it is no more of works. Uh, and otherwise, grace is no more of grace. But if be of works, then it is no more of grace. And otherwise, work is no more work. And uh, let me let me summarize that for you. It can't be a hybrid, can it? It can't be partially grace and partially works because if it's even partially of works, then you'll be able to stand in heaven and say, look what I did. None of us will stand before Jesus at the day of judgment or before we die. None of us will, when we meet our maker, when we are in the situation, just like Simon was or Simeon, however you want to pronounce his name, uh, and we look at him and our eyes See and behold the our salvation. None of us will look and behold our salvation and say, "Look what I did." We'll look and we'll see the scars, won't we? In his hands, in his feet, his ribbon side, and we will worship him, won't we? And we will say, "Holy, holy, holy, is the Lamb that was slain." And we will worship the one who made it possible for us to be there to behold our Creator, won't it? That's what that's the that's the position that we'll be in, and it's and we won't have anything to boast of. But we're justified freely. God, the only thing that God requires for you to be saved today, uh, and it's something that I cannot even remotely bestow unto you. But if you're here today and you need to seek the Lord for the salvation of your soul, I'll tell you what you need to do is you need to get to a place where. Most every one of us that's been saved has this in common, don't we? And then I just said, Lord, I can't do it. <laughs> when we get to the place, when you get to the place where you realize that you can't do it, when you don't control it, when you have, when you're powerless as it pertains to it, that's when you're ready to be saved, isn't it? That's a heart that God looks at and says, I can do something with this. <laughs> And he does it freely, doesn't he? You just have to realize that you can get to the place to, and that's the problem with humanity. You have to get to the place where you realize, I have no part of this. Even as the person that's seeking the Lord for the salvation of my soul, I have no part in whether I get saved or not. God is the one who does that. It's God's salvation. If you're going to get saved, it's going to be because God did the saving. Justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, a couple more verses and then I'll finish up. Um, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation to, uh, that bringeth salvation, which is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the one that brought salvation, isn't he? Uh, and it's the gospel that declares salvation. Uh, and so the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, uh, Titus 2.11, Titus 3.7, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, you want to talk about somebody who can do great things. It's somebody who has the knowledge of A, who's in control, being God, and B, that God's their advocate, and that C, as we talked about this morning, that that God will not hold Hold back anything you need to accomplish what he has set out for you to do. Whatsoever you need. Ask believing. Asking in faith and it shall be granted unto you. And so here he says this. Uh, and why is that? Because we have this hope that we'll uh, in the knowledge of eternal life. 
And so we, we, we're going to close with this last thought as we go back and look at what, at what Simon had said. When he said, Mine eyes have seen, have seen thy salvation, and because thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles. Now that was Jesus, and that light to lighten the Gentiles was Jesus and the gospel that he brought. And that gospel has been commanded, hasn't it, uh, to go forth, and that it, let's just touch on it here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to use Matthew 28. Most of us know this. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And there he, he issues a commandment. He said, go, didn't he? Now, in, in Luke, uh, in Matthew and Mark, uh, in each instance, uh, the command is go. Luke doesn't actually say go, but it's in there. It's just expressed differently. In Luke, it's expressed this way. At the repentance and the remission. Actually, I'm going to go back over there, Luke 24. And, uh, and, and just we're going to finish up with this. I'm going to start in, uh, in the 40. Sixth verse, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to be raised from the dead, and that and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. And so there he's saying, go into all nations, or among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So, you know, he doesn't say expressly the word go. He, 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 he states it a little differently, doesn't he? But in Mark, he says, go ye into all the world. In Matthew, he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Proclaim the gospel. I said in Sunday school, I think we over, we try to overthink things sometimes. And I believe we really do. There are instances in scripture when God has said, go, and we don't want to go, do we? Why is that? Because we want control. If you're here today and you're lost and the Holy Spirit is letting you know you're lost and He's convicting you of your sins, that's the Holy Spirit saying, now is the time, today's the day, seek the Lord while it is day, for night cometh when no man shall work. If you want to get saved, you better get saved when the Spirit is impressing upon you that it is now, it's go time. If you've been saved and called to preach and you get asked to come preach, it's go time, isn't it? If God says go over to this other country and preach, but you want to go somewhere else, the Holy Spirit doesn't allow you to go to that other place. That's what Paul experienced uh, when he wanted to go up in Bethunia. Uh, and the Holy Spirit said, you're not going into Bethunia. Go to Macedonia, Paul. Go. But we want to use the rationality sometimes that God's given us and the ability to reason, and oftentimes we use it against the Lord, not meaning to. Go. He says, Go ye therefore into all and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Go preach the gospel. Where do we preach it? Where there's light? No. He is a light to lighten the Gentiles. You go preach the gospel where it's dark. 
that light might shine in a dark place and that the truth can be revealed to those sitting in darkness. That's the job that we have, isn't it, as the church of the Lord, to take that gospel into all the world. We know we're not in control, don't we? God said go. That's what we are supposed to do. And so that's our message this morning. We want to behold the salvation of God. Well, we'll behold it just like Simeon or Simon did that day when he held up the babe Jesus there in the temple. And he said, mine eyes have, have seen thy salvation. He beheld it. We beheld salvation when we got saved. We will really behold salvation when we see Jesus coming in the air, right? Or when we die first, one or the other. Whenever we meet the Lord, we'll behold salvation. But you want to behold salvation, we need to be about the work that God prescribed because there's no greater joy in seeing those that were sitting in the darkness of sin turning to newness of life and light in the glorious light of Jesus Christ. That's our message this morning. Brother Williams, if you have a song selected, we'll, uh, we'll finish with that.